Welcome to the DevReady Podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today, we're joined by Peter Strokob, talking all things sales. Uh, in business, sales and marketing are the lifeblood of our businesses. Uh, if we are really going to drive anywhere and help the amount of people that we're looking to help, we need to have really good sales processes involved in our business. Peter talks to, do we bring on a salesperson? or do we design a sales process that will allow us to scale? Uh, we talked about a number of topics here, really enjoyed his philosophies around sales, and I'm sure you'll get a lot out of it. If you enjoyed the episode, please like and subscribe. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Yeah, well, great to be here. Now, sales, Peter, it's obviously a big area in any business, and especially any startup or technology business that's uh, hitting the ground running in such a competitive landscape. So tell us a bit about your history, your background, and maybe how you got involved in sales to begin with. Yeah, sure. Look, I've, I've spent you know, 20 years that I admit to in, uh, in, in the corporate sector, working either on the sales side or on the marketing side, and always in B2B, and uh, predominantly in, in technology and service uh, sectors. Mm-hmm. I have also had a couple of uh, small medium businesses myself and, and worked for not-for-profit organizations along the way as well. So I've, I've had plenty of experience on the sales side and on the marketing side. And I've, over the 20 years, seen plenty of good things happening, but also seen a, a lot of terrible things happening. And so, so in 2013, I decided to do something about it. And I started my business called Peter Stroke of Advisory to help organizations, uh, sort of medium to large organizations, to uh-huh. sell more faster. Sell more faster. So you mentioned bad things happening, terrible things happening. What's some examples of that? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> you you so, left it for me there. <laughs> so, so the baiting worked, I, I, see, I see, right? So look, in, in the large organizations and even some of the smaller organizations, there's a hell of a lot of politics going on. You know, when, when something goes right, individuals take the credit. When something goes wrong, they point the finger. You know, mm. um, then there's the, the perennial kicking the people down the ladder and uh, and schmoozing the ones up the ladder to get ahead. So it's it's pretty much every man for themselves. And uh, and you know, the, the the word teamwork goes goes out the window when it comes to achieving sales targets, particularly around the at the end of the month, the end of the quarter, and the end of the financial year. Mm. What do you think that is? Okay, well, this, this is a philosophical question. So I think that is because of the way organizations are structured and sales teams are rewarded. Okay. Because they're all rewarded for performance. And there's probably nothing wrong with that. You know, we've had sales performance-based compensation around for a long time. Mm. But what has happened is that there's increasing pressure to, to grow the business. And it grows from, the pressure starts off from the shareholders having expectations that the dividends will be bigger next year than they were last year and there's more profit coming. That pressure is put onto the company board. The board puts the pressure on the CEO. The CEO puts it on the sales managers and the sales managers put it on the sales reps mm-hmm. who then put it on the customers. Yeah, and that's that's an issue, isn't it? <laughs> and, and, and Pushing so, the customer. Right? Yeah, and you yeah. can see how much value is being destroyed by the end of the, end of the, the term, the, you know, the quarter, the month, the year, mm-hmm. just through discounting. You know, and mm-hmm. guess what? Customers are now accustomed to that and they go, I'll just wait till the end of the month, I get a better deal. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I'll wait for the sale. Recall, and, and, and there's a lot of value being destroyed just by, by having this, this artificial deadline by which you must make a certain amount of money, right? And I always say that that's not a great customer experience because the customer being pressured into a transaction that they may or may not be ready for just because the rep has an artificial deadline to meet 
is not the customer's problem. They, they, they don't like you know, pressure selling. I don't think anybody does do they. So I think you've got a bit of a mix of experience here from sales and marketing. So from a marketing side, you're dealing from sales and marketing. We need to understand our customer and look to how we can help and serve them. But from a sales side, if you just focused on targets, it becomes more of a push rather than a help conversation, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it's 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 a push conversation and, and then ends up being a pressure conversation. Mm. And then trying to get the deal over the line with discounting, you know, which destroys all the margin and, and the profitability of the, of the business, right? Just for the sake of uh, acquiring new logos, perhaps. You know? <laughs> I like it. What's the alternative, Peter? Well, so a, as you might have guessed, I've spent a bit of time thinking about this. Yeah. And the solution is to rethink selling. Yeah, and it's a strategy for retail, definitely. Say you, you, you will sell more if you don't sell. <laughs> I get <You> that. <laughs> no push, help. <laughs> well, well, this, this is, no, no, no you've, you've hit the nail on the head. So, so let, let's look at the, the sales funnel, the, the, the traditional sales funnel, right? Mm -hmm. So you put leads into the top, then we nurture the leads, then they get uh, advanced and they get uh, passed over from perhaps marketing to sales. Uh, yes. Sales then advance the leads and eventually a sale drops out. Mm -hmm. Right, that that's how sales has been measured for you know, 150 years. Because the sales funnel concept was originally invented in 1898. Not, that's a long way back, isn't not it? Not 1998, yeah. 1898. Right. I, yeah, I mean, wow. it was it was a very clever concept, you know, especially uh -huh. back then. Mm. But what it leads to is that we all we think about is, bugger, we've got all these products or services. Let's sell them. How quickly can we sell them? How can we make our targets? Right. So it's inward looking. It's, it's looking at the way that we want to sell and it's totally unrelated to how the customer wants to buy. Especially today, <laughs> with all it's the information we have, the knowledge that's out there, the customer, yeah, there's so much, yeah. so, many, so much competition. Um, well, yeah. not, not, not just that, but in 2018, 19, you might've got away with push selling and, and with spamming people and uh, cold calling and all that sort of thing. People didn't like it back then, but you got away with it. In, in 2020, people don't like that anymore at all. They don't have time for it. They don't want it. They, they have enough on their plate to worry yeah, about. So you don't push. And salespeople ringing them up and, and saying, trying to flog them somewhere. Right? So, so what I say is that certainly in 2020, what our customers expect from us is to be a subject matter expert that can mm -hmm. help them make an informed decision, you know, guide them, educate them, help them to make an informed decision to buy something. Now, from a salesperson's perspective, what you want is you want to be the subject matter expert that helps your, your prospect or your client or your, your suspect to help them make an informed decision to buy from you, right? So that last bit is important because we well, still want them to buy from us and not just educate them and then have them buy from somebody else. Mm -hmm. we, we still want them to, to come to us and to have enter into a conversation that they're having with us about how we would do it, what, uh, what differentiates us, how our, what our specialty is, what makes us different from the competitors, and, and guide them and help them to buy from us. I think a key word there is guide. Like, yeah, to be a guide, you have to show them a way and lead them. And, and it's education too. To guide, you have to educate. So not just um, pull them along. Okay. Yeah, it's not just being able to spit out the specs and benefits of your yeah, product yes. versus something else. Exactly. So, so, you, so this is what I'm saying. You, you must not lead with, we have these products and we do this and we are so great and you just got to buy from us. So I actually call that a wee wee syndrome because we just talk about we 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 we. And really, Anthony, no, nobody cares until it's clear to them what's in it for them. Mm -hmm. Right. 
especially when you're in a, in a cold call situation or in, in, a, in an um, inbound marketing type scenario where you want them to prick up their ears and take notes and, uh, and get interested. Right. So, so you've got to have a point of view. You've got to have a maybe a bit of controversy, maybe a bit of a challenging thought that you can convey to them to get them interested. And I often talk about the lean forward moment. Now, this is when you talk to a new prospect and you say something that interests them, that intrigues them, that makes them lean forward and say, oh, Anthony, that sounds really interesting. Tell me more about that. Right. And the, the lean forward moment is really important because only at that moment when they lean forward and say, tell me more, that's when they've given you their explicit permission to sell to them. So, so lean forward moment. Let's dig in a bit on that because we're going to obviously give some tactics for people to start thinking about. What's some examples and ways you might be able to engage a customer rather than just say, here's my product, this is what it does? Yeah, so, so I always um, teach my clients to think about what is the yeah. business impact of your product or your service on the customer. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so we don't want to say we've got these great CRM systems. Right? Yeah, it's not just. But we want to say able to spit out we help the specs and benefits of your product their, versus their something else. And, and, get and that's yeah. the starting and, um, point. So, so you, you talk about the, the results that you bring, not not the product that you have. You, you talk about how you do uh, what you achieve, not how you do it. Or, or, or you don't talk about the hammer. You talk about the the nail on the wall the value for mm -hmm. them not the way it's achieved is from what we've sort of understood in our journey it's people don't care how much effort goes into it from our end it's what is it going to give to them at the end of the day repeat yes. that your problems their problems <laughs> what do you mean by that peter well if, if i have the problem that i've not met my sales target by the end of the month uh -huh. as a customer that doesn't interest me because it's your problem not my problem right so I want to understand why I'm buying from you and that you are, in fact, the best uh, solution for me, that you're the lowest risk for me, that you have the best uh, value for me, not the lowest price necessarily, but the highest value. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and I, I, I'm not really interested that, that you need to sell more by the end of the month. That's not my problem. Yeah, that changes the conversation, does it, from the sales <laughs> perspective, right? Especially with targets at the end of the month. So yeah. back to the philosophy question, if you're encouraging salespeople to hit targets month on month, quarter on quarter, how do you shift the psychology then? So this is another philosophical question and, and there are now organizations around that are starting to look at the way that we measure salespeople. Okay. And, and yes, revenue achievement is still going to be top of, uh, top of mind because mm -hmm. that, let's face it, that's, that's, we, we need, every organization needs to grow um, simply because of inflation and CPI and that sort of thing, right? If, mm -hmm. if, we, if not for growth for growth's sake, we, we just by standing still, we're going backwards. So, so I, I get it that we need growth right? and, and the growth and the, the growth comes from, from the sales revenue, the sales revenue comes from selling and, and, and from the sales reps. So I totally get that, right? But it's not a pleasant experience to be pressured into a sale like mm -hmm. for a customer, right? So what if we supplemented, not replaced, but supplemented the KPIs around sales so achievement, the value sales for them, pipeline management, not the way and, it's uh, sales pipeline quality. It's, and from what we've sort of understood in our journey, achievements, it's if we people supplemented those don't care with how much effort goes into it from our end. Scores, right? It's so, what is it going to so give if, to them at the end of the day? If you think about the sales funnel, the old sales funnel, we talked about, you know, we nurture the leads and we pass them on and we, and we then advance the sale and, and so on. So if, if you had a, a metric for each one of the, the stages of the, the sales funnel in terms of the quality, not so much the quantity, right? 
then you yes. can much better gauge which uh, of your opportunities are the ones you should focus your your energies on and which ones are the ones that will lead to a sale sooner than than the others you know mm -hmm. so if we measure the quality of our interactions with our prospects and suspects then automatically sales people will behave in a in a much more helpful guiding and educating way and it'll be a better customer experience at the same time and that's i still i think we'll we will still achieve sales revenue targets at the same time so with that there how do you real like it's obviously easy mm. for a business to re measure revenue right it's how numerical you... it's it's, yes. it's black and white you know you've, you've mm. either achieved your target or not Bang. correct so <laughs> engagement with the customer that's really going back to the customer and surveying understanding the relationship one would imagine but what else could you do there no, well, no, there's, there are actually technologies out there that um, help you measure the, the engagement quality. Okay. In, in fact, uh, there's an Australian invention that sends the prospect an email to help them evaluate the quality of their engagement with that sales rep because many sales reps come back from the, from the sales meeting and report to their boss, oh, we're fantastically, you know, great, great stuff. This, this guy's really into us, right? Uh -huh. uh, for the first time now, you can measure what the other guy is really thinking and, the, and there might be then some coaching going on for the sales rep. In terms of how they can, um, you know, be more realistic about uh, how they present themselves at the other, uh, to the other side. Okay, interesting. Do you know what that what name of that tech is for anyone that's interested? Yeah, it's called uh, Meeting Quality, and I think the website is meetingquality.com. Okay, so anyone interested in having a look at that? I think that's um, are we all looking to improve? So that's one area that we can improve if we can better serve our customers. That's the objective, right? We're here as a business. You're here to serve and add create value not just make sales. Back and gone are the days where you could uh, flog a product that doesn't add, deliver any value and get away with it. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at the way that the Americans do it, you know, mm -hmm. they, they just purely go by the numbers. I guess they have the scale over there, right? But uh, mm -hmm. we have 25 million people here, they've got 350, so it's a slight That's difference, a right? Big difference. But, but they, they just reckon that if they have strike enough numbers, you know, enough quantity, then they, then they get the sale out of it. But I wonder how, how much damage they do in the, in, the, in the meantime to all the people that weren't interested. You know, like, for example, when you get uh, spammed by, by people saying, oh, we can give you better SEO or wouldn't you buy an app, a, 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 you know, a app development from us, but, you know. Every, every day I get three emails about app development in my uh, inbox. I know. Just, and they're just selling me, here's what it's going to cost per hour and this is what we can do. It's like, you like I don't really care. <laughs> You're lucky it's me three. Yeah, no, this is, this is what I call, uh, what I talk about when I say we, uh, we, we syndrome, you know, we do this and we have that and, and just buy from us. And, and really they're, they're just uh, spamming a thousand people in the hope that three people, they might catch three people that uh, happen to be just in the market, just at the time as they're reaching out to them. Yeah. But how likely is that? And, and how likely is it that they choose off 998 people in the process? Yeah, they do. They do, especially if they keep doing it too. It's like, go away. That's what yeah. it feels like. So what's what's a model that, like we're talking to non-tech, building better tech, serving customers, evolving, but a lot of SaaS models and products are coming out of and who we're talking to here, which they all lean towards automated marketing and all this stuff, but customers are important in how we engage with them. We, um, we also run a, a SaaS product ourselves, but we find that the biggest value we can add and create is when we're actually working with our customers one-on-one, -on -one, engaging with them and solving real problems. Because in reality, a product's a product, but the product is the starting point of a, of a relationship. There's also more you can create and add value to. So how would you recommend someone that's in that space with the tech B2B sort of play? What's the starting point for conversations if it's not about we, our product, what could it be? Well, obviously it's about the problem that you solve. 
Mm -hmm. But I would like to take it one step, uh, one level up and say, you know, how does that problem manifest itself at the customer end? You know, what impact does it have on the organization? What impact does it have on the, on the individuals? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, how urgent is it? How important is it to, to fix the problem? Right? And, and, and I might say that the most impactful engagement uh, or, or path to engagement that we can have is by making a prospect aware of a problem that they either didn't realize or the severity of which they didn't realize or let them see something from a different perspective you know so so for example when i say to sales managers that it would be really a good idea if you had a consistent structured scalable and proven sales process that you can just you know plug more sales people into and more sales sales will come, revenue will come out of it or you can plug more leads into the top and more sales will fall out the bottom you know, I've had this conversation with a sales leader who's been in the business for probably close to two decades. He, he was totally amazed when I saw, said to him, look, um, don't hire any more salespeople until you've got a proper sales funnel and a proper sales process, because it'll, when you hire more people, they'll be much more effective that they can hit, hit the ground running when they don't have to bring their own sales process and you end up with 15 salespeople each doing their own thing, you know. Is, is that the reality? You're lucky 23. Well, look, I, I have to tell you, I won't name names, um, yeah, but, yeah. but I did work with a global IT hardware company mm -hmm. last year right? okay. <laughs> who had probably 120 salespeople in Australia alone. Oh, wow. um, and when I asked them, what is your sales process? They honestly, they, they showed me the internal sales deal approval process, you know, gate one, gate two, gate three. Uh -huh. uh, and then when I said, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean, like your sales process that you teach your sales reps. And they go, no, no, we just hire good salespeople. They know how to sell. Uh -huh. And then when, no, seriously, and then when you talk to the reps, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll just tell them this and this and this and this. But, uh, but then when the rep leaves and uh -huh. another rep takes over, the customer has a totally different experience because they're using the, they're doing their sales a different way, you know, and it's it's not great. And, and this is a multi-billion dollar global technology organization. And so, so it does happen not just in small business, but it happens in really, really big business as well. Yeah, well, so what is a sales process in your mind? Because a lot of people might just think it's uh, educating the salesperson on the product, teaching them the fundamentals, here are the key cuts, the industries we're targeting, customers, etc. Go, go for it. Yeah. Uh, Pat them on the back and say, off you go. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. So, so look. I did talk about the old sales funnel before, or the, the traditional sales funnel, as, as I call it politely. I did create a new sales funnel, and, and I've, I've not quite made up my mind on whether to call it the, the modern sales funnel, the customer-focused sales funnel, or the sales funnel for the 2020s, but, but here's what it looks like. You've got to, there's 10 steps in it, and, and you've, at the top, you've got to have a tagline that if the customer doesn't know about your business and doesn't know much about you, that how you can bring them into, into a conversation. Mm -hmm. that that sort and and so that you've got to have a tagline that gives them a clear understanding of what they can expect when they do business with you right okay. so you don't want it to, you don't want it to be about uh, you know we're really good or we're the biggest or we're the greatest or you know um, whatever the, the motherhood statement might be you, you want it to be about the difference that you that you make and the um, experience that the customer can have from you. So, for example, I, I, I'm, I'm dealing right now with a, um, a cybersecurity company, okay. and they had a tagline like I forget even what it was now, but uh, but not one. That, a good one, obviously. Well, not, not one, not one. Well, not one that that means something, you know, yes. to, to to a prospective customer. So so we've uh, talked about what could it be, 
and and we came up with the with the slogan "We've got your back," mm -hmm. right? and and it means that we've got we look after your things, Paul, to to make sure that you can just focus on your business, and we look after IT for you, right? Mm -hmm. But when something goes wrong, we're, we're there with you, and we'll 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 help you, we'll fix it, you know. So so basically, we're on your side, and we'll um, we're on your team, you know. Yes. So so that that's a, a pretty clear expectation that the customer then has that. You know, you've got my back, so I can trust you. And and if something goes wrong, you'll be there for me. Mm -hmm. Right. So that that's the tagline. That's number one. Then secondly, from that, oh, just well. thinking on that, it's about the customer, right? It's about the experience that they can reasonably expect from the business. Mm -hmm. Okay. Get that. Makes sense. So the, so the next one is have a product that's clearly identifiable. You know, I I, I mentioned I was working in the corporate world, and at one stage I worked for an IT company that basically said we can do anything. Our customer, no, seriously, our customers know what their customers want. They will tell us what they want and we'll build it for them. Yeah, I love that. Sounds like us. Sounds like, like us. Yeah, we used to sell. Yeah. But, but that, that model doesn't work when the customer doesn't know what they can have and they yeah. don't know what they don't know. Correct. And that's generally, especially in IT, they never really know that. And there's probably 20 different ways of doing the same thing and which one is the best way for this customer. Right? Mm -hmm. So I encourage all my clients to have a very clearly defined product or service. Mm -hmm. right? And then number three, what makes a difference? So what is your unique selling proposition or your unique value proposition that makes you a purple cow in a field of brown cows? You know, so if, if you're a cleaning business, for example, what makes your cleaning business different from any other cleaning business out there? You know, what do you do differently? What and it might be in the customer experience. It might be in the products that you have. It might be in the service that you deliver. You know, I, there's not a single customer, sorry, a single one of my clients that I haven't been able to help with a, with a business value proposition that makes them look different from everybody else. Mm. So that's number two. We need to stand out, right? So in reality, there's competition in every space. So standing out. Yes. Pivotal, so, so Andrew, look, in, in your business, your, your customers and your, your prospects have a choice of going with you or with, you know, three, four, five, 10, 12 different other ones, right? That's right. So how will they decide to go with you? Well, mm -hmm. you need to be able to articulate that. Yeah, correct. It's it's pivotal to the, com the communication yeah, pretty, conversation. So. Pretty much, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and and I mean, look, there's all sorts of stats out there um, that that say that it, this is the the biggest challenge for sales reps is to differentiate themselves from or their business from from any other business. And, and mm -hmm. so that's, that's one of the strengths that, that my my method has that um, actually teases that out to say what what can we say that makes people interested in what we do and differentiates us from our competitors. So on that, that area there, someone out there thinking about this, what's some, some questions they might ask themselves to tease that out of their own product or their own service or their own business. So obviously I'd like to help them with that, <laughs> but if they, if they want to do that, start thinking about it on their own, then they should say, <laughs> should think about what do we do differently to anybody else? What mm -hmm. does it look like to the, at the customer end? You know, if, if, or, or you can turn it around and you can say, what if what we do didn't exist? What would happen to the customer, right? Uh, okay, that's a good question. Yeah. So, you, so you, if, you, if you turn it around and say, what would happen to the customer if we didn't have uh, cybersecurity? Oh my God. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay. what, what would happen to the customer if we didn't have our systems properly um, protected, not just with a, with a single password, but um, you know, Two-factor authentication. Do you find that it's just standing for something is generally where it, where it ends up? 
because I think you got your back is a good stance on the business model and what you can do differently and what you stand for can be and your values can actually change the model and the way you communicate and approach things. Does that come through sometimes? Yes, but I think in this day and age, values alone are not enough. You Mm -hmm. actually have to have um, not just values, but you have to bring value as well. Of course. Well, so results here is going to be important. Value to the customer. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So what outcomes like what you say. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So okay. that was number three, value proposition. Num- number mm-hmm. four uh, is then have an understanding of who your ideal customers are. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and 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 I mean geography, industry, business size, title of the individual. You know. So, so down so, to so, detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so the personas. Right. Mm-hmm. Then, once you know who they are, then you want to know where they are, where do they hang out, who do they listen to, what content do they consume. Right? Then, then once you know who they are and where they are, then the next question is, how do we engage them? You know, how do we contact them and how do we engage them? The last part is very important because just contacting them, you can spam them with email. Right? Cool. But how, how do you get an engagement? How do you get them to, to lean forward and say, tell me more, Anthony? Mm-hmm. And that will be dependent on who they are, where they are, what their beliefs are, what the challenges are, and everything in between, really. Well, look, this 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 point number six, how to engage them, is intricately linked to point number three, which is your value proposition. Okay. Can you so explain if, that if to you have a, If you have a unique value proposition, something that makes you uniquely different in the marketplace, and you have a point of view and perhaps a controversial or challenging perspective, Yes, or you make yeah. them aware of something that they didn't, they hadn't been aware of before, then they'll say, wow, Anthony, you must be the expert in the uh, field because nobody else has yeah. taught me about that. Yeah, so it's important to push there because then you can actually open their eyes, basically. Take the blinkers off is some, a yeah. moment that you want to be, yeah, okay, get that. And, and, and when I say um, challenging, I, I don't mean challenge the person. You know, yes. don't, say, don't say your baby is ugly. You know, <laughs> no one ever wants to be told that so that's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. not so, a good so, way to start but, conversation but you got to yeah. say you know you got to challenge their thinking challenge mm-hmm. their perspective yeah and by by doing that you make you create a conversation that's not really salty you know yes. you you, yeah. cre- you create a conversation about maybe a business issue that they have or a uh, an opportunity they hadn't realized and then they go well how could you do that for us what uh, what would it look like if we did it and where have you done it before with somebody that also looks like us? You know that that, that sort of thing. So, so okay. the uh, if you and can if you can challenge their thinking and challenge their perspective, it'll it'll feel less salesy to them and also to the salesman. When I take that back, when I'm when I'm in a, a good conversation, it's a creative conversation with the customer, getting them to think and ponder across different areas. Is that where you're leaning to here? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So, so you want them to lean forward and say, "Tell me more." Mm. Right? Where am I going wrong? Or, oh, I didn't realize I had this opportunity. How would I realize it? Yeah. And you're actually having a, a, a business conversation, but it's not about the product. It's about what does it mean to the customer? Okay, get it. Now, just going back to where you started this point where you're saying you have to understand who you're talking to and not the interest in all, all that stuff. Yeah. Is that sort of you have to then craft the conversation to talk to that person? So it's slightly customized for every person that you speak to? Ah, that's a very good point. Thank you for that. The The reality is that anything that you sell that's got a reasonable dollar value attached to it or that, that has a, a certain tenure attached to it. So if, if you're selling a CRM system, that you probably the license will be three to five years. 
and it'll be a reasonably costly item, right? Mm -hmm. so, so there is not going to be one single mystical decision maker that you need to talk to and get to. Very true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there, there is going to be a committee. Right. And, and particularly now with all the uncertainty of the pandemic around, the, the committees are getting yeah, bigger. They're being able to deliver on what you say. making process is taking longer. You know? And each person of, and, and the, the committee will consist of different competencies. You know? So you might have a technical person like the CIO. You might have a financial person like the CFO. You might have the CEO in, 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 involved. And hopefully you'll have an end user representative involved as well. Right? So there's, there's four aligned there. But I think it was CEB, Corporate Executive Board, that said that the average decision-making committee is now 6.8 people, right? It's a lot of people. Each, mm. each with different perspectives on the same thing. Mm -hmm. so, so you're absolutely right. You need to talk to the CFO about uh, return on investment and maybe, maybe um, internal rate of return, right? Mm -hmm. to, to the C, um, CEO, you want to say, look, um, your board will be happy with you. Your shareholders will be happy if you can deliver this, right? To, to the CIO, you, you might want to say, look, these are the um, support arrangements and, uh, you know, here's how mm -hmm. we avoid uh, giving you any problems because we know you've, you've got enough of those already. And, you know, if something goes wrong, we're there for you to, to fix it up and here's why. Right? To the end user, you want to say the learning curve is very, it's not very, it's, it's very steep. So you learn quickly. It won't take a long time and you'll be much better off from a, from a user perspective to go with a new solution as opposed to the old. Because if you don't do that, you get either active or passive resistance for the change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you can see that, you, yes, you need to talk about the same thing, but you need to put a different hat on and look at it from a different perspective for each, depending on who you're talking to. I think we had a project, I was going to say recently, mm -hmm. where one person in the, from the client was focused on the details of the project. Another person was, how do we keep you within budget? Yeah. And then other people had other concerns. No, exactly right. And, and you need to address each of those in turn yeah. so that when the committee meets, and they may have, you know, two or three candidates to choose from, they miraculously discover that you tick all the boxes. Mm, <laughs> yeah. so, so that's that's how these decisions so are So we're selling made. to multiple people at once. It's B2B sales. And there's a lot of people out there listening, developing product and technology and businesses and B2B sales. B2B sales is a long, drawn-out process, I would agree. They can take 12, 18 months in some cases, longer in some cases in our world sometimes depending on what, how it gets up the tree, et cetera, so, and what the impact even, is to business. In the situation where you're selling to smaller businesses, mm -hmm. such as if someone's selling to us, Andrew, yeah. they have to approach the conversation different to me as opposed to you. I agree. because yeah, Either of us can make the decision, but they have to approach it differently because of the de different detail that we both want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, very, very true. Oh, Peter, that's yeah, some good insight for people looking at B2B sales. You've well, got a couple more steps there, I believe. A couple more steps. So we've yeah. talked about who are they, where, where yeah. are they, how do we um, um, engage them. Yes. Then how do we, once we do engage them, how do we ensure that they buy from us and not from anybody else? So how do we eliminate our competitors? Right. So that, that's another thing. That, that question um, there, let's yeah. dig in there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's... Yeah. let's, uh, let's the answer that everyone's yeah. looking for because there's competition everywhere. This point Obviously, you there's all these understand steps who you're talking to and not interested in competition. All that stuff. What do you do Is there? That sort of you have to then craft the, the conversation the to talk and just avoiding that to that person. What's some of so the it's slightly customized for every person. That you well, speak I, to? I never advocate that you, you you talk badly about your competitors. Yeah, it's just not a good idea. In fact, you might you might compliment on your competitors when being asked. You know, what what do you think of you know competitor B? 
uh-huh. and you say, oh, look, they're really good at this, uh, at this part, and you just leave it at that. <laughs> <You know? Okay. laughs> but the, the actual technique is different. The, mm-hmm. the actual technique is, the, the technique or the trick is that mm-hmm. you bring up a subject first that none of the others would have raised with you or with, with, the, with the customer. Mm-hmm. And again, one, something that makes mm-hmm. the customer pick up their ears and, and take note that uh, you're telling them something that the others haven't told them. So you're about educating forward and ask for more. And I, I tell you what the one thing is, you you bring up the subject of risk. Yeah, when you said it before, it perked my ears because I don't really do that in a sales conversation at all. Nobody does. <laughs> when, it, when I when I heard risk, I was thinking, hmm, interesting. So explain. Okay, so so the so the thing is that that the normal salesperson will go, uh, look, you know, we've we've uh, done this before, and here's three case studies that we've got, and uh, you know, here's some some um, um, testimonials, you know, and so on. Trust us, we can help you, right? Yes, that's what most people do. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> and and that, that they're trying to just sweep it off the table and and uh, pretty much ignore mm-hmm. the question, right? So what I advocate to my clients is that they they look at this this buying decision-making process from the customer's perspective. Mm-hmm. And from the customer's perspective, I absolutely want to know what are my risks. What, uh, what, should I, what do I need to look out for? And what, what, what don't I know that I don't know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and so if you want to help guide and educate your prospect to make an informed buying decision to buy from you, then why wouldn't you bring up the subject of risk, right? And, and the subject of risk is that you, you just say, Mr. Customer, would you agree that uh, in every business decision that you make, there's an element of risk involved? Mm-hmm. What would you say? Uh, yes. <laughs> it, it's rhetorical, right? Yeah, so, correct. So, okay. Yeah. So, so the next one is then, Mr. Customer, regardless of whether you buy from us or somebody else, would you like to know what the risks are to you in making this, this decision today? Yes, yeah, so yeah. making them aware of what the risks are, right? Okay. Yeah. So, well, so what would you say? You're going to say yes, because yes, that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out in my head anyway, even yeah. consciously or subconsciously, you're doing that. You're assessing, you're evaluating, what, yeah, we had you're making project, that decision, but yeah, you're still thinking about what might go wrong, from the if go wrong, what's, on the, what's details the story of the project. There, so. Another person like, like, was, what, what are these bastards not telling me? Right? Mm. So now I'm the sales rep that actually tells you, right? So I'll say, would you like to know that, would you like to know what risks are involved in making this decision? Yes, I would. Okay. So, so Mr. Customer, these things could go wrong. If you have like three or four things that could go wrong. Yeah. And the most simple, most basic one is that you say, well, the, the most basic risk is that whatever you're buying might not, might not lead to the expected outcome. It might not work. Mm-hmm. It might not um, be adopted. It might not um, yeah. do all the things that we promised that it would do. Right. So, so the, so the, the, the most basic thing is that uh, it, it doesn't work. <laughs> that's the, that's the most basic risk. Right? Well, adoption in a situation uh, where you're selling to smaller one, businesses, such as to someone it, selling to us, just thinking out in my own mind, have to that's approach the conversation quite a bit different to yeah, me so as opposed to you. We might talk about this without even even either of us can make the decision, but they have to approach it differently yeah, because of the de- different detail that we put on. Any business has um, in taking it on and stakeholder engagement and getting buy-in is probably the biggest risk in any big business. Um, yeah, if you're looking B two B sales. Yeah, and, and, and the next question then is the the most critical where you say, Mr. Customer, would you like to know how we mitigate those risks for you in our organization? Yeah, everyone's going to enjoy that, won't they? And they'll say, yeah, now I'm curious because I, 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 mm-hmm. I you've talked to me about all these risks. I'm a bit nervous now. Now I want to know how, how you avoid them for me, right? Mm-hmm. 
and then you say, well, we do it because we make sure that the engagement happens or we make sure that uh, we, we've got a program to do that. And, uh, you know, we'll let you talk to three customers that we've done it with that look like you where we've done it before, you know, and, and you just put them at ease. But but you don't avoid the question of risk by saying, oh, look, everything will be fine. Trust us. Mm. You actually help them to understand that you have their best interests at heart and, and you're going to eliminate or, or mitigate those risks for them at least. And you'll be the only one who's brought it up. Yeah, I think raising it shows you shows them that you're thinking and caring about their outcome even more. So, and saying that this is how and our processes we have in place to to ensure that we actually deliver the outcome for you and mitigate those risks makes sense. Yeah, and 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 it demonstrates a certain level of maturity as it well. Does. It does. Mm. You know, and, and you can have this conversation with with people who are mm -hmm. deeply risk averse, like mm. CEOs, <laughs> like <laughs> yes. CFOs CIOs. as well. Yes, yes exactly. And, and they'll be very interested in what's my risk and how can, can you help me avoid it. And, and if you're the only one that brings it up, if you're the only one that brings it up proactively, yes, you, you make yourself a trusted advisor. Also, thinking about this out loud, or think about from the perspective of risks are there and there's the chances of them happening. They can happen with any provider, right? But even showcasing you've got a process to manage them. And if they do happen, this is what we do do if something does still pawn out. I think that's actually an interesting way to think about it, even to improve your customer journey and experience too, back to that side. Well, that's exactly my point, that, that mm -hmm. they, they feel they can trust you more than anybody else because mm -hmm. everybody else just said, trust us. Mm -hmm. okay. And you, 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 can, you can tell them how um, you can mitigate it and why they should trust you. Yeah, get it. Yeah, get it. Makes sense. Okay, so last last two points then are how to uh, last three points are how to use proposals um, effectively to win the deal, and and of course in that context it's important what goes into the proposal, and mm -hmm. um, and and particularly around point number three, which is your your value proposition, mm -hmm. but also I have a technique for my clients to showcase to them how they can use the proposal to get more deeply engaged with the, with the customer before they have to submit it and and let's face it mm -hmm. lose control you know, mm -hmm. because once once you send the proposal through you've um you've lost control of the sale because you're, you're now waiting for to hear back from them right and and if there's you know, nothing coming back if there's crickets then then then, then you end up you end up wondering have, have they not got it did they not read it have yes. they don't they get everything have they not made, made a decision have they already gone with somebody else and not told me you know mm -hmm. and then then you end up end up chasing them and looking pretty desperate yeah, so what's some advice there? Obviously, implementing all these strategies through the proposal might make a lot of sense, if I'm thinking out loud here, but what are some mm -hmm. of the other things that could? Well, I, so you'll, you'll have to take up my program, but basically, <laughs> what, basically what I do is I, I show my clients how they can get actually get the customer to help them write the proposal. Get the customer to help them write the proposal. So working with the customer to define the actual outcome and solution and yeah okay that's my thinking right now what i'm getting out of that interesting yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yes it, it is basically so uh in in a, in a subtle way getting the customer to help you make sure that the proposal hits the mark because it's in the customer's interest that that you do hit their mark and you're not uh, misunderstanding anything you're not proposing something that they don't, they don't want and even to a certain degree that your pricing is not totally out of the ballpark yeah get it and then by getting them to help write it it's targeting the internal stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so, so I have a... Focus that they need. That's right. So I have a technique that teaches my clients how to do that. I'll add to that a little bit because it's something that I think we touch upon within our business. It's we 
when you we're as a consulting business is we, we do within the area on core business we we worked at the customer to define their product and really get them in it and even get them writing into the definition of the product and i think that's what you're touching on um yeah that's interesting uh, something we might be doing internally on our own um without even realizing that but yeah that's they're buying in then it's the advantage of that is the whoever you're working with to do that is actually buying in and becoming an advocate even if they have to sell up this they're on your side then so you're on the same team um, exactly yeah, putting yourself on the same team is important and the best way to serve the customer really um yeah getting on the same team and it demonstrates to the customer that you care. You know, do you care yeah. about the outcome? You don't just care about the sale, but you yeah. also care about the outcome. Yes. That sounds pretty easy uh, when you think about it. So, yeah. Well, but, but most, let's face it, most sales reps, look, I'm, I'm generalizing. Yeah. But, but most sales reps would be, would be excited by the fact that the, the, the prospect says, send me a proposal. Right? And yes. they go, yeah, it's in the bag. You know, fantastic. <laughs> you know? And I, I say to my clients, the worst thing you can do at that in that situation is send a proposal. Send the proposal. Oh, I agree. Yeah, there's no way we do that anymore. It's the worst thing you do. It's like I said, crickets. If you want to do that, one thing I realized in business, if you um, are just sending a proposal with a number on it and here's some things, yeah, the likely chances of getting that are you're just a number in a pile. But if you're working with the customer to solve the problem, design the products, even if you have a product, right? You're designing the way it rolls out, the implementation strategy, the adoption strategy, whatever it might be, you're helping them think about it and plan it with them. That's a much better way to approach it. And, and also, mm -hmm. you can make sure that the customer understands that you've got their best interest at heart, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you can, you can get them to give you feedback on your draft proposal. Now, I've given it away. Yes. <laughs> um, um, before you've got to submit it, right? Yeah, okay. And, and, yeah. and I've, I've got a client in, in, in uh, the West Coast of the USA. Yes, yes, yes. Who, who used this, just this little technique. Uh -huh. And they, I spoke to them sort of a couple of weeks after I told them that, to use this. Mm -hmm. And, and they, they said they've got a, a very substantial um, sale now pending mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they have shown interest and they've shown the effort that they're willing to go to to help the customer to make sure that the, their proposal is exactly what they're looking for. Well, isn't that what we're trying to do here as business people, create value? I think what you're saying is a lot of common sense, but not very common. Um, you're trying to help the customer. So the best way to help the customer is to get to know the customer, understand their real problems, because um, there might be something that we don't really know and get them to work with and solve the problem collectively with maybe your product or service as a part of that process, which is all well and good. But I think... Um, that is the way that I think we touch upon a lot of this stuff, the way we do a lot of our business, but just putting it in an interesting limelight as to how you might structure it in a better way. So then you can educate more people and build team to deliver the same outcomes. It's interesting. Well, and, and also differentiate yourself mm. in the process. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It makes a lot so, of sense. So there's two, there's two more points and they're very quick. And because I call this the, the customer focused sales funnel, uh, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's talking about how, how can we give the customer a good experience at every touch point. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And, and, uh, there are seven items that I, I teach my clients to always have, um, in mind when they deal with, uh, with prospects or clients and they're, they're all commonsensical. There's no rocket science here, mm -hmm. but, but just having the seven points or the seven principles in mind as you as you deal with your clients will help you to be a much more customer focused organization at every every touch point so that could be in sales it could be in marketing it could be in customer success it could be in, in 
and even in, in accounting, you know, mm -hmm. if you, um, because accounting <laughs> is, is a customer touch point as well. You think about the effect on the customer if you send them a, a wrong invoice, for example, right? So customer experience is not just the, a matter for the sales team. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point too, because you're engaging with the customer on all fronts. Once they come into the organization and they're working with you, then you've got delivery mechanisms, yeah, accounts. Um, you still, from a salesperson, are interacting with them during the journey. Uh, you've got support, delivery, depending on what you're delivering. So how do you track that across an organization without rules is probably my biggest question. Well, you need to be a customer-centric um, organization to start with. Right. So, so if, if you operate in silos and everybody has their yep. own KPIs and then nobody cares about the other side, uh -huh. then, then that will show up as a customer right? so, so if a customer comes the to your website and sees something that, that the they might find and interesting the focus that they need. And, and then they might decide that they want to talk to a rep about uh, the thing that they saw online if the rep says, oh, oh what's that? Well, show me where that is. That's not a great that's not a great customer experience, you know, and, and the customer can exercise their choice and then go somewhere else because they go, well, these guys don't really know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So, so by, by being focused on the customer experience and the customer outcome, that that's a great unifier in, in an organization that breaks down the silo walls and it, uh, it works in terms of creating trust and, and promoting expertise. Obviously at a smaller business that can be a little bit easier to manage, but the bigger you get, how does one pass the baton? <laughs> I would say. So what are some tips there for people to think about? Because there are different people in different um, silos, like you said, especially the bigger we get, silos get created just by um, coincidence in some reasons. Some, the, the bigger that we get, the challenges that come up. So what are some things that people can think about around the customer journey that will help them better serve their customers? Yeah, look, so, so I've, I've written two books on, on that subject. Okay. Um, one, one's called The One Team Method, which is uh -huh. basically how, how can we get everybody onto one team uh -huh. to, to be with the same objective in mind. Yes. And the other one is called Smarketing. So it's a, it's a combination of sales and marketing together, mm -hmm. basically focusing on the customer. So if, if you are a customer-centric organization, that means that every... Uh, you, you, you will actually break down the silos because you will not be focused on sales versus marketing versus customer success versus accounting mm -hmm. you, you, you'd be all going well what's the right thing to do by the customer and and if you go with the old saying that um, um culture it's strategy for breakfast mm -hmm. you know it, it's it's really a matter of adjusting the culture to be customer focused and not not product focused which brings us back to the the top of the funnel where we say give the customer a good idea of what to expect in doing business with you right from the start before they even do business with you, right? Yes. And don't talk about your products and don't talk about how great you are and how many clients you've got and how many employees you've got and how many vacations you've got around the world. Mm -hmm. Talk mm -hmm. about what's in it for the customer. Mm -hmm. right? And if you do all that, then t number 10 will come in, point number 10, yeah. and yeah. that is giving the customer a good pre, during, and post sales experience. Yeah, that can sometimes get lost from the <laughs> sell and move on type scenario, right? Yeah, look at some volume in the product. Yeah, correct. You, you, you've probably seen it as well, where, where you know the buyer goes through a lengthy buying process, mm -hmm. and and at the end they've made a decision and they go, "Gosh, that was hard. I never want to go through that again." <laughs> you know, th that's what you're trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. you, you, you want them to feel like they've been looked after, they've been guided, they've been helped, they've been educated to make an informed decision to buy from you. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. um, so, but the other thing is that if they have a pleasant experience with you, not only will they give you repeat business, but they will also advocate for your business and tell all their mates, friends, and colleagues uh, and, and uh, business network about 
how great it is to do business with you and you get referral business without even asking for it. And the referral business is the best type of business. It's much easier to go through the process because people are open and the guard's down. So the risk well, look, component if, it reduces big time. And that's probably the thing that you touched on. Absolutely. And, and you know, you know in, in this day and age where you can put anything up on a website, mm. people trust actually reputation. You know, they, they trust um, referrals, they trust recommendations from people that they respect. Of course. You know? mm. So if you ask any CEO, what, what would they des- how would they decide to go with a particular vendor or how would they decide to put a particular vendor on their shortlist at least, right? They will always say, I go by, um, I, I trust personal recommendations from people that I know and from people that I respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so referral selling is immensely powerful. Um, there's, there's certainly some techniques to it, some, some, some tricks that you need to keep in mind. But the, the, the basic requirement is that somebody says something good about you, right? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you get them to say something good? Well, you treat them well and you give them a pleasant experience. And so in, 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 in sales parlance, you need to stop thinking about how can we sell these products you need to start sell, start thinking about how can we help these customers to buy from us. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so so I, 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 I let me rephrase this. Instead of thinking, gosh, we've got all these products, gosh, we've got all these services, how can we sell them? We turn it around and we say, gosh, we've got all these prospects, how can we help them to buy from us? Mm-hmm. I think the buy from us is an interesting point because it still puts a salesperson's hat on, and not just how can we serve, which can sometimes lead you down just a, a sharing and um, information path. So that's a very interesting point that is yeah, something that we'll, I'll take away from this conversation. Yeah. So, so yeah, you can sometimes go too far one way or too far the other. You can either be the pushy person or the not so pushy person, just educate and let people make their own decisions. And, yeah. But, yeah. but the, what you also don't want to happen is, is that you help and educate and guide the customer yeah. and then they go somewhere else to buy more cheaply. Yes, right? correct. So I've, I've seen that uh, plenty of times where, where a really great uh, organization has helped the customer to make, a, to, to make an informed decision. And then they've gone out, okay, now we know everything we need to know. We'll go somewhere where they, where they have no service, but they're cheaper, right? And, yeah. and, and that's, yeah. not, that's not really what you're looking for either. So you, you've still got to hook them. Yeah, and that risk component will come into that, I would imagine. Yeah, make a big difference. All 10, all ten points of the, mm. the, the modern or the, the yes. customer-focused yeah. sales funnel I've been talking about. Mm-hmm. All those 10 points will help the customer to buy from you. Okay. I'll spend some, yeah, really good points, Peter, in terms of um, the one thing that stood out for me was um, as well the risk, but also the the silo breakdown of, of everybody asking, are we doing the right thing by the customer that you mentioned there? And that's that puts the, the focus on the customer rather than the internal processes because sometimes businesses can be overly internal focused um, in terms of the way they do things. And then, yeah, either you're the internal or external focus, but it's better to focus on the customer because that's who you're trying to serve and help in the end. Yeah, so it was a good question there as well. No, thanks, Andrew. And, and this is really how we started this conversation mm-hmm. where we said, look, we, we want to stop focusing how, about how we want to sell. Yes. The customer wants us to help them make an informed decision. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the, 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 the 10-point modern sales funnel helps you to help the customer to buy from us. Brilliant, Peter. Um, thanks for joining us, Peter. If there's any, uh, to wrap this all up, um, anyone out there listening that's um, doing, especially B2B sales, because that's your, that's your uh, clear area of expertise, where do, where's, to start changing the methodology and thinking, what's, what's some things, a couple of tips that they should be looking at um, internally? What's some things, where should they start basically? Okay, so I, I can um, help anybody on the call here that uh, would like to 
dip their toe in the water and say, how would it work for me? Mm-hmm. And, and that is in two ways. One is that there's an article on, on, on LinkedIn, yes. uh, on my, on my um, LinkedIn in profile, and uh, that's called How to Sell More Faster, Even in a Pandemic. Yes. It's, it's probably the third article down. It's, uh, it's uh, number 167 out of 170 articles. That so I've, you uh, share a bit of content there, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So there's plenty, uh-huh. plenty more there. But, but this particular article talks about how can I sell more even in a, in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just recently changed the title actually to Stop Selling. Mm-hmm. You'll win more sales, particularly during a pandemic. So, th- so if you just look for an article on LinkedIn of mine, okay. Called, called, that starts with stop selling, then that'll be it. The other option is that you go to my website at peterstrokov.com forward slash sales dash. If you're changing volume, you're not going to worry about it. With a little dash in between. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it'll talk about the modern sales funnel. And there's, there'll be a link to a, a self-assessment checklist where you can actually compare your own current sales funnel to the one that I'm promoting, and you can see where you still have opportunities for improvement, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and because it's a self-assessment, um, you know, I, I don't tell you that you're doing anything wrong. You, you just uh, assess for yourself whether there's something in it for you. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Then, and then if you want to talk about your responses to the, to the questions in the sales checklist, then uh, I'll make myself available to actually one on, in a one-on-one call to actually um, go through your responses and try to help you resolve something in the call just so that uh, you can experience how it work and whether there's a good fit for us. And it's kind of like a, a, a try before you buy kind of scenario there. So there's it's very little risk and you can might you might find something out that you, you didn't know already. I will share all that detail out because yeah, the model that you're doing in terms of cell funnel makes a lot of sense to me. Checklist will be interesting to some people just to look at how they're approaching things and you'll you probably learn that either your internal external focus pretty quickly, one would imagine, <laughs> going through well, that process. And Peter, I, well, I commend you because uh, you're one of the only people that's come on and actually shared your uh, your 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 services in a, in so much depth. But being the sales guy, you one would expect that <laughs> through the process. So thanks for sharing <laughs> and doing that with us. So and how you might be able to help that's brilliant. Well, look, my my philosophy uh-huh. is to to give value up front so people know what they're getting. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then again, they, they can make an informed decision whether they want to buy my services or not. Yes. Yeah. And it just fits with the philosophy, right? Exactly right. Brilliant, Peter. But we'll share out all your, your um, details. Obviously, we'll post it on LinkedIn as we promote it out. So thanks again, Peter, for joining us and uh, really appreciate your time. No, thank you, Andrew. And thank you, Anthony. It's uh, very, very nice to be here with you and talk about all these very important sales-related things. Perfect. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, thank you.